This podcast is a presentation of Faith Assembly of God, where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Get more information online at faithishere.org to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 11 a.m. Thank you for making this podcast a part of your week. Stand with me. Take your Bibles out. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We are going to dig into it today. Are you ready? Excited about the Word of God? 2 Timothy 3, we'll be looking at the entire chapter. We'll only read the first five verses for our text today. If you're watching by television, we welcome you today. Great to have you on board with us. Also, those in the video venue, we welcome you guys as well. And all of you who are here this morning. We have been training believers to do the work of the ministry. We are talking about equipping the church. Getting God's people ready for work and service. Last week we looked at being a vessel that God can use. We don't want to be a trash bucket, a trash can. Uh, We want to be a vessel for God's glory and honor, fit for his service. Now Paul is sitting in a prison cell. He sees some dark days ahead. I believe we are in those dark days right now. How does the church respond? Let's look at it. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, Rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people, turn away. Father, today, help us, help us, help us, mighty God, as we look into your word. Open up our eyes, our understanding today, and we will receive exactly what you have for us. Equip us in these last days. To be good soldiers for you. We ask it in your mighty name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Look at those first three words. But know this. Church, wake up. Wake up. Pay attention. Paul tells Timothy, you better listen to what I'm about to say. This is very, very important stuff. Don't be so naive and to think that everything's going all right. Everything's going smooth. Uh, It's a wonderful world in which we live in. Uh, Even though Paul is in prison, he says, Timothy, you better buckle up. Terrible times are coming. The last days are coming. Let me tell you a little bit about those last days. Now, a couple of things we've got to address before we dig into the text any further. The last days, when will that occur? We've heard that phrase a lot. You've heard the talk about the last days. You've heard all about it. You know all about it. When is he referring to the last days? Well, there's really a couple of different types of meaning here, and I want you to get these. First of all, the last days can describe the entire church age. From the coming of Jesus Christ the first time uh, till his coming back the second time, uh, that that entire 2,000 years of time can be referred to as the last days. 
You see, when Jesus Christ came, he brought with him the kingdom of God and he inaugurated these last days. You thought it was just since 1940 or 1950 or the 1900s or whatever it may be. Or some of you may think it hasn't really started yet. But, but I want to tell you, it started all the way back in, in 33 AD. Look at it. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Look at me like you don't believe me. You've heard so many prophecy teachings and teachers out there and you got your prophecy charts already, and you want to tell me when the last days begin, let me tell you when Peter said it began. And it shall come to pass, it says, uh, verse 16, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass. In the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see vision. Your old men shall dream dreams. Uh, and all my maid servants, men servants and maid servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Now the Pentecost is happening. The Holy Spirit's being poured out. Uh, they're speaking in tongues. Uh, they're gathered there on that feast day of Pentecost. But Jewish people from all the nations of the world around them. Uh, and they said, what in the world is going on here? And Peter stands up and said, this is that. This is what Joel was talking about. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. He said, it's happening right now. The last days are beginning. Uh, they are starting with that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Some of you guys are still messed up. I haven't convinced you yet. Go to Hebrews 1 and verse number 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these Look at that word. In these last days, spoken to us by his son. He has appointed heir of all things through whom he has made the worlds. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says we are in these last days right now. So there's a sense in that ever since Jesus Christ came, the last days have begun. The, the, the church age, the, the ingathering of the Gentiles, all a part of those last days. But let me give you a further sense of this. The last days also refers to that brief period of time uh, right before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me see if I can illustrate it to you and kind of weave the two things together, the two thoughts together. Follow me here. How many ladies have been pregnant before? You know, that whole time can be characterized as the last days. Nine months. Some of you start right out of the gate throwing up and all that kind of fun stuff that goes on. And you got that baby inside of you and it's kicking and doing all that stuff. And then you start to grow. And before long, you're bigger than the barn and you're out there. And then you're waiting for that birth of that baby. And then all of a sudden your body begins to tell you the baby's coming. And you got those signs, and I don't want to go into a lot of gory detail here, but you know what it is. And you rush to the hospital, and, and you think it's just around the corner, only to find out 24 hours later, oh, it still hasn't come, and you're there. And what happens is, as your body prepares for the birth of that child, the closer you get, the more intense the pains become the closer the pains are coming together. Your body is preparing itself 
for the birth of that child. Uh, I believe the closer we get to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, those pains will get closer and closer together. They will get more intense in severity. Uh, and so what we see here is these things that Paul describes in Second Timothy chapter 3, they have always been, they always will be. There will always be those who are lovers of themselves more than lovers of God, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure. That has been a characteristic of every single generation But I believe as we get closer to that time of delivery, uh, to that time when Jesus Christ comes back again, uh, they will only increase in severity. The last days. Uh, So are we in the last days? Uh, The answer, my friend, is an emphatic yes. Uh, We are now living in this kingdom age, uh, and I believe the birth pains are getting stronger than ever before. Last days. What characterizes these last days? He simply says in these last days, perilous times shall come. That word for perilous can be used as the word fierce or violent times shall come. In fact, it was a word they would use in the Greek language to describe a wild animal. They would use this adjective or they would describe a raging sea. They would call that perilous seas. Now, there's only one other time this word is used in the New Testament perilous and it's found in Matthew 8 and 28 it's there translated fierce uh, and he's describing two demoniacs uh, at Gadara Jesus Christ goes to where they're at he gets to their region uh, and these demoniacs come out uh, and you read about the description Uh, they were wild uh, they were uncontrollable they could not be chained down Uh, they would cut themselves Uh, they would cry out Uh, they were fierce Uh, and he says that's what the last days are going to be like They're going to be like those demon-possessed men were acting. In fact, there will be demonic activity behind all that goes on in these last days. Violent and fierce. Now, the question for us today, we're in it, we're in the middle of it. How do we survive? How do we survive these perilous, fierce, wild times? I want to give you three survival strategies. Jot these down. Number one, turn away from that which is false. Turn away from that which is false. And we found that in verse number five. And from such people, turn away. And from such people, turn away. Now, now Paul gives us in these five verses the basic source of all of our troubles. And I'm going to sum it up for you with three types of love. Three types of misdirected love. And everything else in these passages, I believe, revolves around those three types of misdirected love. Uh, The first, he calls himself lovers of themselves. Verse number two. The last days, perilous times shall come. There will be those who are lovers of themselves. Turn to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. Now, we were created by God to love God. That's why he made us. That's why he created us. He created us to love God and to love his creation, to love other people. And you see this summed up in Matthew 22 and 37. And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Now, there's an interesting phrase there. He says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, that tells me I should love myself. 
And yet in 2 Timothy, he says in the last days, people shall be lovers of themselves. There is a such thing as a healthy self-love and an unhealthy self-love. I'm going to tell you the difference. I'm going to open up your eyes this morning. You're going to get the difference. The difference between a healthy self-love is a healthy self-love is always tied to a love of my neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. The two have to be tied together. That will then make a healthy self-love. But an unhealthy self-love turns inward at the exclusion of everybody else around you. It's all about me. It's about my will, my wants, my desires, my wishes. It is a me first mentality. And I want to tell you, it's since the... Uh, the birth of psychoanalysis uh, and the psychotherapy and all that other psychotic stuff, I will tell you that their approach is always to teach you how to love yourself and find yourself. If you watch television and the talk shows during the day, it's about finding yourself, finding the real you inside of you and all that other kind of nonsense that is out there. My friend, uh, when you go on that journey to find yourself, when you begin to turn inward uh, in a self kind of love, that is a characteristic of the last days and that is very unhealthy. In fact, it will never ever produce wholeness. It'll never meet the needs of your heart and life. You can look inward all you want, uh, but until you start reaching out and loving somebody else around you and do what God has created you to do, you'll never be whole and healthy. Unhealthy kind of self-love. What are the results of that self-love? He says they will be boastful, proud, and abusive. Verse number two. Boastful, proud, and abusive. Now, I may show a little bit of my age right here, but I don't care how old you are, old or young, or whatever age you may be today, but this is no better illustrated than the music of this generation. The music of these days in which we live, the music of this generation is boastful, proud, and abusive. Uh, the lyrics are filled with defiant, blasphemous, proud attitudes and lyrics. And yet even with all the, the pride and the sin uh, and the glorification of sex and the glorification of rebellion uh, and everything, the music that screams uh, in the face of God himself, yet in the midst of all that, their music is also gripped with an overwhelming sense of despair. I mean, you hear the words, you hear the ly lyrics, and it's like we're all going to die. And yet there is no hope. In this world today. And so while they cry out at the face of God, they are lost in their depression, their anxiety, their fears. Boastful, proud, abusive. He says also, characteristic of this self kind of love, it will cause people to be disobedient to parents and unthankful. The Apostle Paul saw through the Holy Spirit this ominous attack that would come on our families in the last days. Families are being ripped apart. The rising divorce rate undermines the stability of the home. It undermines the authority of mom and dad. Millions of couples don't even marry anymore. 
They simply live together and scorn God's laws and his design for the family. It's no wonder that the kids are growing up in this generation uh, being disobedient to parents, uh, having no respect for mom and dad uh, whatsoever. There's a laxness towards responsibility and respect for authority. They will spend an average by the time they hit age 18, your kids will spend 22,000 hours watching television, fantasy, violence, and sex more time than they will spend in school classrooms. Schools introduce birth control, homosexuality, and relative morality. The Bible has been banned from the school in these last days, but your school is free to teach and discuss filthy, lewd books under the guise of literature. They give access for clubs to witches and homosexual groups and any other group that wants to form on campus, uh, but they are doing all they can to kick out the Lord Jesus Christ. Without disobedient to parents, unthankful. Another offshoot of this is without self-control. Without self-control. It's another example of a healthy, unhealthy self-love. You see, without self-control carries the idea of indulging every sensual appetite. It simply says there are no more rules. There are no more absolutes. Uh, it's kind of like the time of judges. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. Uh, and listen, if you question anybody else's right to do what they're doing, they're going to look at you as narrow and conservative uh, and, and not politically correct. Lovers of themselves. The second kind of love he describes of these last days is lovers of money. And if you haven't seen that in the world in which we live, you've been blinded. Jesus, I believe, spoke more about money than any other subject because he knew what the love of money can do to destroying a person's life. And so he comes out against it again and again and again. Now let me tell you, there's nothing inherently evil or bad or nothing inherently good about money in and of itself. But there can be a healthy attitude towards money and there can also be an unhealthy attitude towards money. Turn, if you would, to 1 Timothy 6. And I preached on this several weeks ago, but it's good to be reminded of it. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 9 and 10. Here he talks about an unhealthy love for money. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men into destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and have pierced themselves with many sorrows. You see, Jesus talks about the love of money. Paul warns about the love of money because he knows if you love money, it can lead you astray and cause you from turning away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Love of money. Difficult to live in today's world without being preoccupied with spending and accumulating money. But I will tell you again, money cannot produce joy. Money will never give you meaning in life. 
what is a healthy view of money. The healthy view of money is this. It all belongs to God. God, it's yours. It's yours. And if you are consumed in these last days by that love for money, start giving it away and let that love of money be broken in your life. Love of money. And the third kind of love he describes is found in verse number four. In the last days, they will be lovers of pleasure. Pleasure. Now, there's also a healthy pleasure and an unhealthy pleasure. Healthy pleasure is found in Psalm 16. Turn there if you would. Psalm 16, verse number 11. You will show me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are, what's that word? Pleasures forevermore. You see, the issue is not whether we should have pleasure or not. God wants us to enjoy him. God wants us to enjoy his creation. God designed us to have pleasure in the Lord. But an unhealthy pleasure is that pleasure for sin, and that pleasure lasts only for a season, the word of God says. In the United States, there is $80 billion in the United States alone, $80 billion spent on drugs every year. 15 million Americans smoke pot regularly. 45 million Americans say they have tried pot. We live in a pleasure-seeking world and society today like never before. Lovers of pleasure. Now, now here's, here's the real rub. He says they will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. If there's an illustration of that, I'm going to get close to home. If there's an illustration of that, it is the way Sunday has become a pleasure day in America. Sunday used to be a day set aside for God. I mean, we, we, every day belongs to God. But Sunday was that one day we reserved for worshiping the Lord, gathering with the body of Christ, resting, praying, seeking the Lord, renewing and refreshing ourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it was a day set aside for worship. There was a time when the stores would be closed, when the places of amusements would be closed, when the bars would be closed on Sunday, when there would be no youth sporting events on Sunday. But now Sunday has become a big day for pleasure. What is happening? We're in the last days. Uh, men love pleasure more than God. Listen, slice it any way you want. The last days, we are living in a nation of pleasure seekers. The trouble is all these loves are more than God. Lovers of self, more than God. Lovers of money, more than God. Lovers of pleasure, more than God. And I will tell you, anything that is more than God is idolatry. God must be number one in our lives. Everything we do must revolve around him. And so he says in verse 5, from such turn away. Now he says, get out of there. Turn away. Have nothing to do with them. Now, Here's the thing I want you to get in your mind. Some people are thinking right now, you're already a step ahead of me. You say, wait a minute, pastor. Aren't we supposed to be salt and light in this world? If I turn away, how can I reach them? Listen, that's a great question. 
He says the ones we're to turn away from are the ones who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Listen, you stay close to that unsaved friend. Uh, You love him into the kingdom. Uh, You bake him cakes and pies for your neighbors. Uh, You go talk to him. You interface with him. You do all you can to reach him. They need the Lord Jesus Christ. We have got to be salt and light. But who do we turn away from? From those who have that form of godliness, but they're not following the power thereof. Uh, Who do we turn away from? Those who come to church week after week uh, and go through the motions uh, and sing the songs and and act like everything's okay, uh, but they're running after pleasure, money, or themselves. He says, get away from those guys. They go through religious exercise. They may may be baptized. uh, They may make a profession. uh, They may even join the church. You see, a paradox is going on right here that that Paul's alluding to. The paradox is this. Men will get more and more sinful uh, at the same time becoming more and more religious. They'll go through the motions. Religion will become popular. It will become accepted. Uh, It will become the thing to do. But their hearts are not in it. It's kind of a postmodern kind of religion that basically says we don't need to be bound uh, by an outdated set of rules in the Bible. Uh, We'll observe some of the teachings. Uh, We'll take whatever moral, ethical things we can get out of there. But basically, we'll run our own lives. Bible's 2,000 years old. We don't need it today. When he talked about homosexuality, that only referred to the first century, the Old Testament. You say, Pastor, that can't happen. I would have never believed that there would be a religion who would ordain a homosexual priest. That has been done in the last decade. Listen, let me tell you, in the last five years, listen, let me tell you, we are living in the last days. We are becoming more and more religious, less and less like Jesus. Paul says, have nothing to do with them. You say that may seem narrow, that may not be politically correct, uh, but the word of God remains. uh, It cannot be adapted to our lifestyle or American thought, whatever it may be. Have nothing to do with religious people who do not regard God's word as true and the final authority in every area of life, and that includes sexual immorality. The reality today is many people are religious, and yet they are very, very lost. Listen, if we're going to survive in these last days with all that is around us, we've got to turn from that which is false. Number two, if we're going to survive these last days, we have got to follow those who are true. Turn to verse, look at verse number 10 and 11. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me in a, a Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. You are going to become like the people you associate with. You, uh, you follow the ungodly, you'll become ungodly. You follow the arrogant, 
you will become arrogant. And so Paul says, follow me, follow my doctrine, follow my example, follow my teaching. In another passage, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Now, we're going to follow that which is right. It means, first of all, we don't follow those who resist the truth. I want you to look at verses 6 to 9. He describes those who reject or don't resist, who resist the truth. He says, for of this sort are those who creep into households and make captive of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lust, always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith. But they will progress no further, for their follow will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. Now, there's, there's just some interesting words here. I could not pass this scripture up. Look at the word creep. It literally implies those who worm their way into, who slither their way into. And they gain entrance into gullible, silly women's houses under the cloak of truth. Now, he says in the word of God, their favorite target is gullible women. Now, he is not saying all women are gullible. Some of you ladies are getting mad at me right now. You're saying, straighten that out, I'm not gullible. He is not implying all women are gullible or silly. But he is saying there were many women at Ephesus who were silly and gullible, and they were being led astray. Now, worm their way in. Take you back to Genesis, a lady by the name of Eve. Eve is in the garden, and there was forbidden secrets that the devil said are out there. There's something out there for you. There's new doctrine. There's new revelation. There's new eye-opening things. In fact, the day you eat of this fruit, you will be just like God. And so he worms his way, he creeps his way into the garden. Now, here was a second problem. Listen to me, men. She was not being covered spiritually by Adam. And her curiosity leads to rebellion against God's word and ultimately sin and judgment. All because there was no covering there. I have the feeling the women at Ephesus he's talking about were silly and gullible because they had no godly spiritual covering. Men, cover your house. If you cover your house, you don't have to worry about your ladies following every goofy, stupid doctrine that comes along. That brings deception with it. Now, he gives an illustration of Janus and Jambres. And who were these two guys? It doesn't say it in the book of Exodus. Their names aren't mentioned there. But history believed these were the magicians who followed Moses because he tells us right here. He says, Janus and Jambres resisted Moses. Remember, remember the story? This is a great story. Moses goes in. Aaron goes in. He says, Aaron, throw the rod down. So show Pharaoh what the power of God's all about. And he throws the rod down and it becomes a snake. 
What happened? You remember the story? The magicians come along after him. Janus and Jambres come along after Moses throws theirs down. What do they do? They start throwing rods down. Janus throws his down. Jambres throws his down. They become snakes. Of course, the neat thing is the snake of Aaron and Moses uh, ate up the snake of Janus and Jambres, both of those snakes. And what's he do? He says, well, I'll show you the power of God. He goes out, strikes the water. The water turns to blood. Moses does that. Janice and Jamory go out and says, wait, we can do the same thing. Uh, and they strike the water, and I don't know what they got up their magic sleeve, red, red dye or something, but it turns red as well. And so it turns to blood, and they imitate the power of Moses. Now stay with me. I'm going somewhere with this. And then Moses goes out and touches the river again and the frogs come running out and they jump into all the homes of the Egyptians uh, and Janus and Jambres go out and they do the very same things uh, and wherever they touch, frogs start jumping out all around too uh, and they're saying, wait a minute, we can imitate the power of God. Turn, if you would, to Exodus 8. I, I love this. I just, I just had to take time to tell you this story. Exodus 8 and verse 16. And so the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so for Aaron stretched out his hand with the rod and struck the dust of the earth and it became lice on men and beast and the dust of the land became lice throughout the land of Egypt. Now the magicians, Janus and Jambres, so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's hearts grew hard. He did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. Listen, the sole purpose of those magicians, the sole purpose of those in the last days who will come against the truth uh, is to resist and oppose the truth of God. And they will hold God's people in bondage uh, with their lies. Uh, The end time will be characterized uh, by false teachers uh, and false doctrines. uh, And listen, they may even come out with signs and wonders. In fact, the man of lawlessness, The Antichrist will come on the scene, the Bible says, with signs and wonders. Uh, But I want to tell you, never ever be deceived away from God's word. God's word is truth. I don't care what they do. They may levitate. They may turn something into something else. I don't care what they're doing. Uh, If it's not in God's word, reject it. Verse 9 says, in the end, they will be exposed and they will be judged. Now, it stands to reason if we don't follow that which is false, we follow those who teach and practice the truth. And I've already looked at verse number 10. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance. Look at that verse carefully. How do you know that which is true from that which is false? How do you know the Pauls from the Janus and Jambres? Four things real quick. And I'm flying now. Nothing to hide. He says, you know my manner of life. Listen, if you're going to follow somebody, a mentor, a teacher, a pastor, anybody, know their manner of life. They should have nothing to hide. It's all out in the open. Nothing to hide. They should teach the truth. He says, follow my doctrine. 
They should practice what they preach. He says, I have faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance. And number four, those we should follow are those who aren't afraid of persecution. Verse number 11. No, we are to, I know we're to follow Christ. I know he's the one we put our eyes upon. But we also need godly mentors who will help to teach us and show us the way. And that's what the apostle Paul was. He says, I was persecuted in Antioch. He says, I was persecuted in Iconium. There he was almost stoned and run out of town. When he got to Lystra, they stoned him. They left him outside the city for dead until they gathered around, had a little prayer meeting around him, and he woke up, regained consciousness, or maybe even came back to life. He says in verse number 12 something very interesting. Everybody look at that. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You say, preacher, I came to feel good this morning. You're letting me down real fast here. I'm about these perilous times. I'm going to suffer persecution. It is a part of the Christian life. In the Sudan, in China, in Indonesia, in Iran, in Muslim nations of the world. Uh, and I will tell you, persecution is coming stronger to the United States. Brace yourself. Coming. No one gets a free pass. And all who want to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, you may not be beaten for your faith. You may not be imprisoned or tortured for your faith. But for us in America today, it may involve ridicule. It may involve embarrassment. It may mean you're passed over for that promotion when somebody else is promoted ahead of you. It may mean social rejection. It may mean you will be shunned or, or the object of rumors. Uh, it's the persecution that may not leave scars on your back, but I will tell you it is persecution nonetheless. Now that raises the question, and stay with me here. If it says all who are godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution... Some of you may be thinking, why then am I so comfortable? Why are we so comfortable in America? Why am I so accepted? Why am I so well received? One of two reasons. We love you. If your only associations are to and from your driveway to church and back home and to prayer meeting and back home and to Bible study and back home and to church on Sunday morning and back home, you may not be facing persecution because this is it. I love the church, but God's called us to engage the world. We're not seeing more people saved because all of our buds are in church. And so that's one reason you might not be facing persecution. The second reason is even worse. We've accommodated ourselves to the values of this non-Christian world. So now we look like the world, we talk like the world, we act like the world, we go where the world does, we do what everybody else does, and we're this chameleon thing going on, and so we're very, and, and therefore we're, we're welcomed, we're accepted, we're just part of the gang. 
And this suggests that the world has literally tamed our kingdom wildness because the Bible says those who are part of the kingdom are violent and the violent take it by force. There ought to be something different about our lives, church. When you do that, get ready. Persecution will come. Surviving these last days, depart from the false, follow that which is true. And number three, and I'm wrapping it up, continue in God's word. Continue in God's word above everything else. And Paul says it in an earlier chapter, he's going to say it again very strongly when he comes to the end of this whole thing about false doctrine. Verse 14, but you must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have made known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scriptures given by inspiration of God, it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, say man of God, may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. The only way to thwart Satan's lies is to say, thus saith the Lord. You may say this, thus saith the Lord. The world may say this, thus saith the Lord. It is the truth of God's word. And God's word, when you get it into your spirit, will give you confidence in these last days, in these perilous times. Look at verse 15. He says, holy scriptures. That word holy literally means set apart for sacred use. This book is unlike any other book. It is set apart by God for sacred use. Everything we need to know, he says, about salvation is contained in this book. Nothing is missing. Nothing ever needs to be added. Listen, if they whip out the Bible and the pearl of great price, you know right away it's false. Nothing needs to be added to this book. The Bible reveals our need for salvation. It is the mirror that shows us the law. It shows me that I am sinful. Uh, The Bible reveals God's wonderful plan of salvation. Uh, It tells me how Jesus gave his life on the cross and how he rose again the third day. Uh, And it tells me now the tomb is empty. Uh, The Bible is my spiritual food uh, that I eat and I digest every day. And it helps me grow and get strong. Uh, The Bible is my sword, uh, which went to slay the enemy uh, and enter into spiritual warfare, uh, the Bible and everything I have is in the word of God. The Bible says, Timothy, you learned that when you were a little child. Listen, parents, start teaching your children the word of God the moment they are born. From early childhood, begin to tell them the stories of Jesus. Begin to sing to them the songs of the church, songs of faith. I remember when Lindy was small, she was about six months and she had colic. And that colic just makes you cry all the time. It gives those little babies pain in their chest and they just cry all the time. And, and literally the worst crying was from five to seven, right around dinner time. And Lindy would cry nonstop for two hours and there was nothing we could do except I took Lindy and I would rock her in a rocking chair and I would start to sing songs to her, songs of faith. I would sing the songs of the church 
And all of a sudden, that crying baby would get very calm and very soft. Now, you guys hate it when I sing. And no one can appreciate my singing but a six-month-old baby. But she loved it. I was a hit. That's the reason we have Faith Christian School. It says from childhood all the way up. We educate our children at Faith Christian School for eternity. For eternity. And there they're taught the word of God. And there they have chapel. And there every class has a biblical worldview in place. And the foundation for everything we do in that school is God's word. Verse 16, he says, all the Bible was given by inspiration of Scripture. That word inspiration literally means God breathed. God breathed. So God breathes and Moses begins to write. God breathes and David begins to write. God breathes and Daniel begins to write. God breathes and Paul begins to write. And they write as God breathes upon them. That's why this book is different than any other book. There are other great pieces of literature out there. Uh, they may, you may use the word inspired in a secular sense that somebody had some kind of inspiration to write, but none of them were God breathed. Uh, but this book, it says, verse 17, that they may be equipped and furnished. You want to know God's will? Study the word of God. You want to live a better life? Study the word of God. You want freedom from sin? Study the word of God. You want to be a vessel that God can use? Study the word of God. Now, how is the Bible coming to play? He gives us four things in verse number 16. The Bible will tell you what is right. He says the Bible is good for doctrine. The Bible will tell you what is not right. It is good for reproof. The Bible will tell you how to get right. It's good for correction. And the Bible will tell you how to stay right. It's good for instruction in righteousness. The Bible. Everything you need is right there that you may be thoroughly equipped to do what God wants you to do. Now, continue in the word of God. It will keep you strong. It will give you confidence in this day of trouble. This Bible has got to be the foundation of everything we do at Faith Assembly of God. It has got to be the basis for every message I preach, uh, every class you attend, uh, every group you go to on Wednesday night, uh, everything that Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan does or Pastor Jason does. It has got to be based on the authority of God's word. Uh, it has got to be the foundation for your families. Uh, it's got to be the foundation for your life. Uh, read it with your family. Uh, read it with your wife. Uh, read it when you're by yourself. Uh, get into the word of God. God. Let me close. To summarize this passage, number one, the world's going to get worse. Paul says, don't be surprised. But mark this, it's going to happen. The world's going to get worse, worse, and worse. But mark this. Number two, tough times are coming, but don't be discouraged. It's a part of the Christian life, and we win. And number three, it's easier to stand when you don't stand alone. Follow good Christian mentors, brothers and sisters who will help you in your journey, especially in these perilous times. And number four, believers build their lives on the word of God. They may be persecuted, but never, ever defeated. Now, let me, let me just say one more thing. Times may be getting worse, but in tough times, 
people can get better. Times may be getting worse, but people can get better. Listen, we can survive, separate from that which is false, follow those who are true, and continuing the study of God's word. And then he says, you will be equipped and furnished. What are you equipped and furnished for? You are equipped and furnished in these last days to reach those who are lovers of money, to reach those who are lovers of themselves, uh, to reach those who are lovers of pleasure. We're called to reach this world. And even though in the last days things may get worse and worse, uh, there's also promise in the last days. Uh, in the last days, uh, I will pour out my spirit uh, on all flesh. Uh, that's going to happen in the last days. Uh, in the last days, God's true church uh, is going to rise up uh, and be a witness uh, and a light in this generation. Uh, in the last days, uh, there's going to be a great harvest, uh, a great ingathering of souls uh, who are going to be a part of the kingdom of God. Uh, listen, and perilous times are coming, but don't let it rattle you. It's just another opportunity to be equipped and furnished to do God's, God's work in these last days. Uh, hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet right now. Uh, oh, we want to let the church arise uh, in these last days uh, and cry out and speak out. We're in the middle of it, guys. The labor pains are getting closer. Christ is coming back. Gabriel's warming up. Are you ready? Are you ready? Bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you, Jesus. Listen, if you don't know God, he's in the house today by his Holy Spirit. You can invite him to come into your heart and your life right now. All you got to say is, God, I need you. God, I need you. Come into my life. Take away my sins. Make me your child. The moment you do that, the Lord will come in and give you everlasting life. I'm going to pray for you. If you need Jesus, wherever you're at, just invite him to come in. I want to pray for this body this morning. God will just use us in a greater way than ever before in these last days. Father, right now, I thank you, God, for your church. I thank you for the children of God that are here this morning. I pray right now for those who may not be a part of your family that you will come in, that you will cleanse them right now. God, that you'll live inside of them. You'll prepare them for eternity. Thank you, Jesus. Now, mighty God, I pray for your body, your church, your people. I pray we will arise and stand strong and firm in these last days. I pray that not one person under the sound of my voice today will be easily deceived or, or led away by that which is false. Uh, I pray, God, we will be men and women of the word of God. Uh, help us, I pray, mighty Lord. I pray, God, that in these last days, this body of believers will be an agency that will bring in the harvest. I thank you, God. I thank you, God. Ask all this in your mighty name. Amen. Hey, I love you guys. This podcast has been a presentation of Faith Assembly, where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Thank you for listening this week.